Welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto, the podcast for all things cryptocurrency. Whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran, or just crypto curious. This week on the pod, we are going to be talking about how Web3 and NFTs are disrupting digital marketing and how brands can utilize these today to stand out. We're joined by Lisa Tay, who was named in the 40 under 40 most influential Australians in 2021 and is co-founder of Mooning, a Web3 marketing agency and founder of Cody, which is a traditional marketing agency. Lisa is a leader in this space and we cannot wait. And there are so many incredible insights in this podcast. So let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa Tay. It is so good to have you here with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Alicia. I'm actually really excited to talk about all things Web3. I think people around me are sick of hearing it, but I'm really glad that you and your listeners hopefully want to. Oh my gosh. Well, the people around you, we were just chatting before we hit record. You've just come back from one of the most incredible trips overseas in the States, all the events over there, where I'm sure everyone was talking about it all day, every day. How was that? It was incredible. So it was my first international trip since COVID. So flew over to New York for NFT NYC. There was, I think, 15,000 people registered for the conference. There were 1,500 speakers over three days and there were so many parties and events. And, you know, it's been a few weeks since I've got back and I'm still recovering. (laughs) (laughs) It was really good. And especially given what has happened with the recent crypto crash, it was still, I think, overall the sentiment was very positive. So I feel really excited for the future of NFTs and the future of Web3. Uh, But it was really good to be around people who really believe in the space. Yeah, and some really cool events and use of technology as well, which we'll definitely dive into today. But yeah, there was so much happening over there and loved following along. Now, before we dive into the episode, the question that we ask everyone to the podcast is, what was your very first crypto purchase and do you still have it now? Uh, Actually, The Matrix was the NFT that got me into the whole space. So I heard about NFTs because I follow Gary Vee and he's been obviously talking about it for a really long time. And so I really actually got excited when I saw The Matrix were doing their NFT because I love The Matrix as a movie series, love Keanu. I mean, who doesn't love Keanu? Mm-hmm. And so I was I actually got up at 4 a.m. to try and buy that NFT. It was very freaking early in the morning. It wasn't pretty. I was like half asleep <laughs> and the actual site crashed. And then it just took ages to get the NFT. So I was lucky to squeak in, actually. So they only had 100,000. And I think they started off by saying each person could buy 20, then they reduced it to five. So I just, like, I was right at the very end. I managed to get mine at 4 p.m. the next day. That's how long it took me to get it. Oh, my God. And I I was actually, and I still have it, but I was fortunate enough to go to the Matrix NFT event in New York, and it was amazing. It was actually such a good event because they had a lot of really cool interactive things that you could do. They had, like, a blue drink and a red drink. They they had that leather lounge seat so you could get your photo taken if you were, you know, getting that shot like Neo. So they did a very good job with the party because I went to quite a few events during NFT NYC, and a lot of them were really just drinking events. You just stand around and get drunk, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I felt like this had a lot of activities and interactive displays that as an attendee, you could actually feel like you're quite immersed in the matrix, so to speak. So yeah, I still got those NFTs. uh, So finally paid off. 
Going to the party. (laughs) And is that like the utility behind this? For someone who hasn't heard about that NFT before, what do you get aside from obviously the image and now the access? Is there anything else that you get as part of that NFT ownership? Yeah, good question. So you get access to future NFT drops. They're doing like a game. I'll be really honest with you. I I know this is sort of bad. I love NFTs from a marketing perspective. So I'm not someone who sits in a Discord for hours or on Twitter for hours following along NFTs from a community perspective like projects, which I think a lot of people do. I love looking at them from a marketing perspective. So for me, I thought, okay, this is a really cool idea to bring some interesting utility, capture or get on on top of that NFT buzz when they were launching the new Matrix movie. And so most of the NFT projects that I've gotten into were more so from a brand perspective. So like the Adidas Prada one, for example. So I like looking at it from that lens rather than a typical NFT project lens. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think that marketing perspective is so interesting. Like, especially with your background, you do have a company called Mooning, which is phenomenal. For those that haven't checked that out yet, can you let us know what that company does and how you help people in the NFT space? Yeah. So broadly, we have two types of clients. So we have Web2 companies who are looking to break into the Web3 space. So they probably have very low awareness of what Web3 even means, what NFTs means, what the metaverse means. So we educate them and help them explore how they can delve in. And, you know, one of the exciting things that I tell our clients is that, say, if you're activating Web3, not only will you be one of the first in your industry or the first, you could be first to activate in your country and the world. So not often in the marketing world do we get a chance to do things which are leading the whole world. Uh, So that's really exciting from that space. And then we have Web3 companies. So it could be DeFi projects, it could be games, it could be different protocols, and we help them with their community management. So we specialize in Twitter management and Discord management and Reddit management, which are the main Web3 social platforms. We also do crypto influencers and crypto PR, and we can advise on metaverse and NFT strategies. So to be honest, it's lots of fun. And like this one-stop shop for everything that they need, um, you know, from creation and ideation right through to that management yeah. and ongoing community yeah. building that you touched on there as well. The interesting thing, I think, is that you also have your own background and experience in marketing. Like you've been in this space for a long time. You have a more traditional agency as well, which is called Cody Agency. That transition from Web 2 to Web 3, and when you're explaining it to people, you know, there's obviously the perks of being first in the world. Yes. What else do you talk to them about? How do you bring them on board on this journey? Ooh, good question. So for me, I guess a lot of people don't really understand what Web3 is. So they might have heard the term, they might not have heard the term, but really we see it as the next evolution of the internet. So we're very much at the dawn of Web3 at the moment. So that next stage of the internet, which you know, using technology like blockchain and NFTs, it will give people the ability to access and own their data, for example. So in order to understand Web3, I always take people back to Web1 and Web2. So we look at Web1 as the first iteration of the internet. So that was created by the military, and it was a way to disseminate information at scale. Now, the interesting thing was no one ever really thought about privacy or ownership or anything. It was literally just like, hey, we can put out a whole lot of information and lots of people around the world could actually look at it. So the challenge is it was really hard to share information 
as a just everyday person unless you knew how to code. So we think of Web 1 as like the read form of the internet. Then if you fast forward to the evolution and the creation of social media, <laughs> it was really the dawn of Web 2 and what we see is Web 2. We look at Web 2 as being the read and write form of the internet because all of a sudden the everyday person like you and I could start to share content on the internet by picking up our phones, creating an Instagram profile, taking a photo, and then sharing it on the internet. Now, that gave rise to influencers, for better or for worse. <laughs> so uh, the everyday person could all of a sudden start sharing content and build a following. So prior to that, you would have celebrities getting brand endorsements. But in Web 2, you see that, you know, the everyday person who has generated followers on maybe Instagram, YouTube, whatever platform it is, they all of a sudden can start to get brand deals as well. Now, the challenge with Web 2 is that a lot of the power is held by big companies such as Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you know, Google, and they effectively monetize our data and they own our data. So the challenge for us as consumers is that we don't really have any ownership. So when we look at Web3, having a technology like blockchain, that gives us as consumers the chance to start to own our technology. And so we're seeing a shift from influencers promoting other brands to influencers, for example, becoming brands themselves. So they can release their own NFTs, they can raise money from them. And actually, when I was in New York, I got to attend the Steve Aoki concert. So he was doing like a really intimate event. And one of my friends happens to be a holder. And so we got into the party and it was like such a small event. And somehow like I just weaseled my way to the front. <laughs> I was like pretty much like in like the deck area with him. I was like, oh my God, how is this even possible? And that doesn't want to be possible without you know, him doing these concerts. But he was saying that he's made more money from one NFT drop than I think all the pre-releases or from his whole 10-year music career. And he was saying that if it wasn't for these gigs that he did, he wouldn't even be able to afford to do music. He'd have to have another job just to pay to actually do the thing that he loves. So NFTs have really given him a way to, uh, I guess, to monetize his audience directly. And he's done an incredible job in really building community. And he's done a lot of work to actually foster genuine community with his audience. He's created some incredible utility. Like, you know, some of his community members could actually create songs with him if they get to a certain level. So he's done a fantastic job to now look at ownership and to look at the technology of Web3 and use that to engage his community in a way that's never been possible before which is really exciting. On the flip side, you look at a lot of other really crappy projects where yeah. people are just trying to use NFTs for a money grab. So, you know, Floyd Mayweather, please don't come and bash me up for saying this. <laughs> but, you know, his project was a massive flop. So, uh, you know, I think unfortunately there are people who just see it as a cash grab, but people who actually genuinely feel like this is the next evolution for engaging with their community, they can use it to, you know, a huge advantage. Yeah, it's amazing to see these communities that they've built. And I do remember I saw that photo of you with Steve Aoki in the background. And I was like, oh, Lisa, living the life over in New York. It looked like so much fun. And he's a, such a good example of that. We actually have an episode that we did with Greg Oakford a few weeks ago. Guys, if you haven't listened to that, we'll pop it in the show notes. But it's all around the sporting industry and how yes. NFTs, again, can change that. And I think for creators, it really does put that power back in their hands that, you know, there's not a middleman. They're able to really engage with their community and see the financial benefits, as you mentioned as well. 
Now, moving with your experience in the marketing world, how can, say, like a traditional company who's really interested in this, how can NFTs be part of their marketing strategy for them? Oh, that is a great question. Uh, So I'm like, where do I even start with this answer? So I guess what I might actually start with is social media because social media in Web 3 is very different to social media in Web 2. So we think of social media as like posting content on, you know, Instagram, Facebook or one of the platforms. The challenge with that is if we look at the brand or creator's activity, they rarely actually engage with their community when they post content. They just post a content and they go tick a box, that's social media. Technically, if you're just posting content and not engaging with your community, it's actually more just media because you're not having that dialogue back and forth. So what I see in social media and Web2 is actually more so media because there's very little engagement between the community and the brand and between community members. Whereas if you're going to go down into web three you're going to need to view social as more i would almost say community media so it has to be very much conversation driven and i actually use well i see that we look at content in web two as really like pushing out say an image or a video content for me web three is the conversation so it's the conversation between the brand and the community and the community members between each other So if you're thinking about going down the NFT space or the metaverse space or anything in Web3, you're going to need to look at other investing time into other platforms like Twitter and Discord because they really allow for that continuous dialogue and chat, whereas Instagram and Facebook and TikTok don't allow for that at all. So the second thing to think about is do you have an existing audience to market to? Because it's one thing to say, yes, I want to do some NFTs, but if you don't have an existing audience, then you're going to need to build one. So we see that a lot of Web2 brands have an existing audience on social or an email database. So that's a really big positive. Web3 brands generally won't have an audience, so they need to actually build an audience as part of their marketing strategy. Now, if you want to go down to the NFT space, there's quite a few different methods or different ways that you can do it. So a lot of what people's NFT activity has been recently has been doing NFT projects where they build community by releasing an NFT. And the Board Ape Yacht Club is one great example of a company that's uh, that actually was a Web3 native company. So they didn't exist a year ago and they've built an amazing brand by releasing effectively what are pictures of apes with a lot of utility and community behind it. If you're, saying more of a traditional Web2 brand, then you can think about whether doing that kind of project is really going to be beneficial. It could be a great way to build community, uh, I would say, but you're going to have to need to have really interesting utility. So another way that you could potentially use NFTs is by having them be membership. So it could be you release X amount of memberships, and this could be either in replacement or in support of a loyalty program. So I feel like loyalty and NFTs really untapped opportunity. NFTs are also really great for access. So I know that big brands like Ticketmaster are looking to use the power of NFTs and blockchain for ticketing. And I think Coachella has done a really great job of selling NFTs as a lifetime pass for Coachella. I think that's a really great example of doing that. Uh, I actually love the example of Alfa Romeo who released an NFT, which would be the service record for their car. So you can have your service history recorded on the blockchain. And a lot of people, when I posted that on LinkedIn, said to me, well, 
there's already a database which has your record, an Alfa Romeo one, why would you need to do it as an NFT? And what I was explaining to them is that that database can be compromised, whereas an NFT, once it's on the blockchain, is what we call immutable. So it's stuck there forever. So yes, it can be updated and changed, but there'll be this whole record of it. So from a transparency perspective, from a security perspective, it's a lot more secure than the offerings that are currently in the marketplace. So as you can see, there's so much potential. We have barely scratched the surface when we think about the use cases for NFTs. All I can say is if you're a brand looking to jump into the space, make sure you don't just think of them as, uh, you know, like a profile picture project. There's yeah. so much more application for them. Definitely. And the car one is really interesting as well. We've just gone through the process of selling a car in this crazy, wild secondhand market that we've got at the moment. And we were having that same conversation at the time that wouldn't it be epic if this was all recorded as NFTs? Because, you know, we can say that we've always had it serviced at the dealership. We can say that we've always done this or, you know, the tires have been changed this long ago. The battery's been replaced on that date. But it's all just taking someone's word for it. Whereas, you know, Mm. if you bought a new car and then every single update edition change was recorded with that mm. as NFTs. Like that would just be something that, you know, again, the trust is there. So it makes yes. it so much easier to purchase it. But then you're also building the value into your car if you are, you know, looking after it and those things. So there's so many, I think, just eye-opening ways that this can be used that are just more than pictures, as you said. Oh, exactly right. And, you know, that's the power of the blockchain. And, you know, a lot of people now, you're really skeptical of crypto and technology, but if you really drill down, it's so powerful. So I'll, I'll give you an example. When, uh, as part of what we do is we do crypto PR for some of our clients, and I've just been learning about how to obviously buy crypto, pay in crypto, and then share the actual receipt of the transaction. And in doing all this process, I realized that I could actually just see all the transactions going into this particular media company's wallet. Mm-hmm. And I just said to the team, I'm like, am I going to see this? Like, this seems really bizarre. It looks like looking into someone's bank account. And they go, yeah, no, that's completely normal. That's that's the power of blockchain technology. You can see that uh, it's like all really transparent. So when it comes to understanding, for example, a company like that and it, being able to see directly the transactions, like it's so much better from like a tax perspective or even just like a general visibility perspective. So the technology itself is super powerful. I think the unfortunate thing is the the market grew so quickly and people, of course, as soon as they see opportunity, you have a lot of bad actors stream into the space to try and make a quick dollar. So I feel like the recent activities that are happening with the crypto crash and the crypto winters actually cleaned out a lot of those really dodgy coins, really dodgy tokens, really dodgy NFT projects and people that really weren't in it for the right reasons. So I think it's almost like the clean out that needed to happen. And now hopefully it will teach a lot of people wanting to enter the space. They need to be serious about it and do it properly and not just view it as like a cash opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And even doing that research now, like, you know, we've touched on this a few times, but if you're seeing a company that's still growing, still investing, still doing these things right now in that space, well, you know, they're they're thinking bigger picture. It's not just there to flip something to make, as you said, a quick dollar. It's something that they truly believe in the technology that will only grow When you're talking about like all of these examples, and there's hundreds of them, you know, we've spoken about Nike, Balenciaga, like there are really incredible brands that are leading the way here. And not just, you know, with those fashion houses now, it's not just to have something to wear in the metaverse. Of course, that's cool and and a perk and a bonus, but it's then, you know, moving forward into that authentication piece and those bigger use cases that use blockchain. 
So as you're building these communities out for these people, what sort of benefit can they get from that? Because they have social media, you know, they're talking to people and doing that. What does this additional layer of connection give them? So I would say that your community in Web3 is going to be hyper-engaged. So to give you like an example, if you're not literally talking to them every single day, multiple times a day, telling them what's going on, they think you're dead. So in Web3, you have to build in front of your community. Whereas I look at Web2 and we're very much trained to not show the journey we're very much trained to show the finished product we'll go hey guys we're launching this new product here it is and this is what's happening with it whereas in web 3 we would actually go okay we're thinking of launching this what are your thoughts on this okay great uh what color do you think we should do what features do you guys want to see and we actually involve them where possible every step of the way as a result they actually feel more engaged and they feel like they're part of the actual process they feel like they're more part of the brand because they're having their say so you have these hyper engaged ambassadors in web3 which is fantastic and a hyper engaged audience so i talked about discord I talked about twitter those are kind of the main platforms in web3 the challenge is all of a sudden think of it this way previously in web2 you've got a brand who's posting content and maybe there's some resources allocated to responding generally there isn't All of a sudden in Web3, if you have that shift, you're moving into a social media format where they're expecting continuous engagement. So you're going to need to be investing resources into actually continuously engaging 24-7 with your audience. Now, for a lot of brands, that's actually not even possible, whether it's just resource limitations, budget limitations. So what we're actually finding is that the actual members of the community are becoming ambassadors and moderators of the chat. So the fact that you can get moderators and source them from your community means that it actually takes that burden of communication and community engagement off brands. So yes, we're moving into a far more engaged, uh, I guess, community style, but it means that you're going to be able to talk directly with your audience and they're going to probably care a hell of a lot more than what they care about in Web 2 in Web3. So what that means is you're going to build probably stronger customer advocacy. You're going to build stronger customer input and feedback loops. So it's a lot more exciting as a brand moving into Web3 because that level of community is going to be infinitely more stronger than what we've seen in Web2. Yeah. And there's been some great brands that have done this, like not even in the NFT space, but in utilizing social media. Like there's a couple of local Australian brands. One of them that comes to mind is Stacks, which is in Sydney. And they kind of show the behind the scenes of everything that they do. You know, they do sneak peeks, they do releases, and they've kind of built like this cult following of people that are just like itching to buy their active wear. They, you know, make hundreds of thousands of dollars, sell out in minutes. And that whole piece is been something that's so pivotal to their success. And I think as well, this is just showing and highlighting the opportunity that you don't have to be a tech company to leverage this mm-hmm. stuff. You know, you could have a similar company like that. And it's just allowing them to have that buy-in, as you said, and that voice to really, really sculpt and create the future, which then they're itching to get their hands on. Like, they're so excited. Discord's something that I think, you know, personally, I I use it and it's okay. I navigate through it. But it is something that I think, you know, a lot of people, particularly, you know, younger women, have that resistance towards it. It's something that's, you know, pretty masculine. It's something that was traditionally built for gaming. Do you think that we'll see an evolution, another platform come out that's going to help in that space then? 
Oh, 100%. I, I find Discord very hard to use. And I actually try and use every single form of social just so I can learn for our clients. And Discord, I really struggle with. Like you said, if you're following one NFT project, it's not so bad. Most, I think the stats show that NFT owners generally own at least five NFTs. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to keep in touch with five different projects and not miss out on an announcement, it's honestly a headache and you pretty much would have no life because you're sitting in the Discord the whole day trying to get alpha. So one of the challenges of Discord is that, like you said, it was actually designed for gamers. It wasn't designed for Web3 projects. And in fact, they're not going to be doing a Web3 integration anytime soon because they've got a hell of a lot of other issues to deal with. Plus, it always gets hacked as well. So from a user perspective, it is quite challenging. And even from a brand perspective, think about how short people's concentration spans are now. So if you're jumping into a Discord where you feel like there's not enough value, you're most likely not going to want to sit in there all day or sit in there at all. So, you know, not only are brands competing just to get, I guess, attention and eyeballs in Web3, but given the way that the Discord's formatted, if your Discord isn't pumping and they're not feeling like you're there and you're active and you're giving value, they're going to spend their time in another Discord. So you're going to have that disengagement from your project. So if you're seriously going down Web3, you need to invest in continuously talking, continuously keeping your customers and your community up to date. Otherwise, you risk losing them to another project, which is the scary thing. Yeah. And so what can people do then? Like, is there any other, I guess, ways, and you mentioned a couple of them at the start that you help them with, but any other ways that people can build that same community feel without having to really invest in Discord? Ooh, it is a bit hard at the moment. Twitter and Discord are the main platforms, I would say, that people are investing in. Just because of the formats of their social media layout, the UX, UI, it allows for more of that chat style functionality, whereas your more traditional platforms, it isn't designed for people to sit there and, and you know have separate channels or have separate chat functions. Interestingly, Facebook groups just redesigned their UX, UI to mimic Discord. And Mm. so I feel like Facebook are maybe looking at how, like they're obviously, Zuckerberg's gone big and he's renamed the whole company to Meta. So he's going into Web3. The challenge that I see with Facebook is that, I mean, I'm not of this generation because I'm old now. I'm barely scraping into the millennials. (laughs) But Gen Z hate Facebook because their parents are on Facebook. I don't know if it's going to be enough to get them to go back on Facebook if they've got, uh, you know, a bit more of that, ability to chat, um, so to speak. The benefit of Facebook, though, is it's infinitely more secure than Discord. So I'll be interested over the next coming months to see whether companies jump on there or brands jump on there because it's safer. Mm, And I think like for so many of us listening, this whole concept sounds like a little crazy, like someone sitting there all day, like scrolling and like getting these live updates, but it's a thing. And like even going down to like removing Discord, removing all of this stuff around NFTs and Web3, you know, like there are people that pay money to be part of communities where there's programs like Voxer and WhatsApp and they get that support and it's just like voice notes. But that's what they're after is that connection and that real ability to ask questions and those things. And it's really something that as we're seeing these younger generations come through, they are really, really intrigued in this. They want their voice. They want their opinion to be heard and opportunities like this to give it to them. It's just allowing them to feel that connection to the brand, which then again creates those evangelists and those brand loyalists that won't go anywhere else except for two years. So there's so much scope here and we are just, you know, such early days, as you mentioned. I can't wait to see what builds out of this. Something that 
blew my mind when reading through your LinkedIn. And guys, if you don't follow Lisa on LinkedIn, you need to because every single day I learn something new from what you're posting. But a couple of months ago, you were talking about you know content hosting platforms and the percentage that they take from creators. Oh my God. It's crazy. It was something I had never looked into that much myself. Like I knew that it was there, of course, but like, you know, the app store, YouTube, Meta, they take a cut between 30 to almost a hundred percent on some of these platforms. Yeah. And now we're seeing these competitors, like, you know, OpenSea, we're seeing like, you know, around 2.5%, which is just yeah. mind blowing. Do you think we're going to see pressure on the other platforms to change now? That's an interesting question. I I think that there's a really funny quote. It's from this state of crypto or something report um, by A16Z, which is a big VC. And I got the stats from there. But this guy, I think it's like a US congressman, and he said, these big platforms in Web2 take a higher percentage than the mafia. And I'm like, that's crazy. Actually. Um, yeah, it's actually crazy. So I didn't realize because when Instagram released the fact they were going to integrate NFTs into their platform and they said they were taking 47.5%, I think, when you compare it to OpenSea, you take 25 That just seems crazy high. And the, of course, the headlines are, they, it's like, you know, Zuckerberg takes 47.5%, whatever it is. And that's what a lot of people would see. But if, uh, you know, if you actually clicked into the article, you would see a big reason for that is Apple takes 30% on any in-app purchases. So OpenSea actually have an app, but they don't sell NFTs on the app. Otherwise, they would be able to do the 2.5%. So that I definitely see that there's probably going to be a lot of pressure on these bigger companies to take less. But the reality is their business models pretty much go against everything that Web3 stands for. These are centralized platforms that make money from selling our data or utilizing our data. And we unfortunately don't own it, so we can't really do anything. You know, take brands, for example. They're effectively investing time and money and resources into building these audiences. At the click of a button, all of a sudden, you cannot reach that audience that you effectively have spent ages building and time building and money building which is really devastating for a lot of brands. So when you've got platforms like Instagram and Facebook moving to a pay-to-play model, all of a sudden you need to pay to reach your audience, which doesn't seem fair. Whereas if you start to think about the opportunities in Web3, you'll have platforms that will be able to allow you to own your audiences. So you can then, with the power of interoperability, which allows you to move things from platform to platform, so whether it's like your outfits, your avatar, et cetera, et cetera, but soon you'll be able to move your assets, move your audience, move the things that you own between platforms, between worlds. So that's the opportunity for Web3. The challenge is you've got Web2 companies trying to build on Web3 functionality, like you know integrating NFTs for verification of profile pictures like Twitter, integrating the purchase of NFTs like Instagram. But at the heart of it, their business model centers around monetizing our data. So unless they fundamentally change their whole business model, it's just not going to work for them. So it'll be very interesting because that's going to mean that there's going to be a whole new lot of Web3 companies that are based around ownership and giving ownership back to the people that are going to eventually probably overtake these companies. And don't get me wrong, that'll take a very long time. Like you've got companies like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, who've got like huge user bases. So they're not going to shift overnight. But as the technology gets better, you're definitely over time going to see a shift as people want to claim back their ownership more. Yeah. And I think, again, we're seeing the conversation start around that. You know, I don't think that 
Facebook, like they, they wouldn't miss the opportunity. So they kind of have to, you know, if yeah. they don't keep up with the times and there is, we saw how fast TikTok's grown. And of course there was yeah. COVID in the middle, but before that it was like, you know, Instagram and Facebook and, and the whole meta group was the place to be. There was no competition. And now most people spend a majority of their time on a platform like TikTok. You know, if a Web3 option comes up that gives ownership and monetization back to these users, yeah. that has the same potential to grow as well. Yeah, and actually I saw this great video on why TikTok has been so successful and it was actually a Gary Vee video and he was talking about the fact that if you look at Instagram and Facebook and even LinkedIn to some degree, the content that we get served is really based around who we follow. So I think back to when I first joined Facebook and Instagram years and years ago and the things that I'm interested in seeing now are probably quite different. So I still get served content from people that I follow, but they might not necessarily be things that are relevant to me. So TikTok really introduced the concept of the algorithm deciding what we like based on whatever we like at that time. So the default when you go onto TikTok is the For You page. So it's really curating what we see based on what we are responding or based on what the actual app tells us that we like to see. And the actual following page is something that's quite different. In fact, you don't even really need to follow these creators to get served their content. The algorithm just picks it up that, oh, okay, you like this person. So just keep serving you that content, even if you like or not. So that shift means that you're more likely to see content that you like and are interested in on TikTok. Like I remember, I don't even know, I must have watched one video on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial and all of a sudden that was all my TikTok. Yes. And then I'm like, I'll be watching one other thing. And then all of a sudden just keep showing that. I'm like, this algorithm is way too good. Uh, I think the risk, the risk of that is, though, you can be in a bit of an echo chamber because you just assume everyone's talking about it. Like a lot of the content that I look at is Web3 and I just assume everyone's talking about Web3, but it's really because of the people that I'm following. So I think that's the one risk of having like an algorithm like this. You won't get a balanced view of the world. So I, I don't know if it's like a there, there's pros and cons, but from a platform, if I put my platform hat on, it's definitely a much more effective way to keep people on the platform for longer, which is what they're trying to do to monetize and make money from us. And they do. Like, you know, you see people sitting there scrolling for hours, myself included. Um, I had to delete TikTok because it was just way too much. But yeah, that echo chamber comment is, is really interesting. And this is actually something, you know, we could almost do a whole episode on this. There's so much to unpack here and, and where you could go with this conversation. But I think, you know, just being aware of how behaviors are changing and then yes. coming back to this, you know, again, this whole conversation, NFTs, they're not just pictures. And we talk about that again mm-hmm. all the time, but I think really understanding from a marketing perspective, the potential here is yes. huge. So I know there will be people listening, perhaps some brands listening that have loved you what you've got to say. Guys, as I said, make sure you go and follow Lisa on LinkedIn if you don't already, because there's so many insights there. If they do want to work with you or have a conversation about this, where can they go? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the most efficient way. So they can just send me a message on LinkedIn and I'm very active on that platform. So they can check it out if they want advice on Web3 or want to see how Mooning can help them. They can always submit an inquiry via our website, which is mooning.com. And if you're looking for help in just general social media, predominantly the Web2 space, then they can check out Cody Agency, which is codiagency.com.au. And we will pop that all in the show notes as well for you guys. So you can check that out right now if you want to. Lisa, you've given us so much amazing advice here today. For someone who's really interested in this, do you have any other words of wisdom or things that you'd want to share with them? 
so much to talk about, but I will say, and this is one of our values at Mooning, like we really want our companies and the clients that we work with to lead, not follow. And that's a really big opportunity in this space. Whereas I feel like if you're activating in digital marketing, say in the Web2 space, most likely someone's already done what you're trying to do. So I think you need to just have the, I guess, the bravery to be willing to go first and know that there's no playbook, there's no roadmap, you will make mistakes, things will go wrong, but there's so much potential to get free press effectively because no one's done it before to get a new audience and attract a new audience because your competitors aren't playing in this space. So there is a lot of potential, but I would say that like you've got to be brave to want to do it, but the return is exponential. Yes, I love that so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. It has been so wonderful having you on. Yes, and thank you for reaching out and thank you for making the time. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon. 